I and entrepreneur Will Iverson talk about the question, will AI break capitalism? What can we do to try to inspire folks to create the good version of this? And what does that look like? Right. So, and I'm going to call it out. I'm not even going to take it up. Writing a dystopia in 2023 as a writer is lazy. <laughs> that is a lazy cliche. Did you hear that, everyone? Yes, I'm calling you all. Put out. it away. Every, every right, every writer who's working on a dystopia right now, just put it down. Walk away. If I want to see a dystopian nightmare, all I have to do is op- turn on the news. <laughs> it's you got to move on. And part of what that means as a writer, and the reason I think part of why dystopia is comfortable is a lot of our great works were dystopian, right? Mm-hmm. We just rattle off a whole bunch of awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. And the other one is I think it is also easy to get conflict out of it. Yeah, definitely. And it's also conflict that's justifiable. So if you want an action thing like like The Matrix... So Mm. in the matrix, there's these famous scenes of these guys, like they go into an office building and they've got their black trench coats on and they've got all these guns and they just lay waste. Right. right? And it's justifiable because of the matrix and society and dysfunction and whatever. And I'm like, boy, it would have been really cool if they could have skipped all that fighting part and just simply sat down and talked it out. But would that, (laughs) would that have made for a great movie? You know, right? Uh, that's a tough sell. You're not selling me. I won't be producer for this. <laughs> exactly. And that's the kick is like, well, where do you get the... And so one of the phrases that I that was in a screenwriting video thing that I watched was, it said it was about dilemma, not conflict. Okay. Let's, let's so talk the, about that. Go ahead. Yeah. So the idea is, is that dilemma is a superset of conflict. Hmm. And, okay. and the... the so I have a tight frame for dilemma. I don't know if it matches yours. A problem is you can you can, there's like a there's a there's an outcome. If you solve the problem, you can have a positive outcome. But a dilemma means any choice you make is still a different kind of problem. Right. So the the example I would go to for dilemma is the Martian. Oh, there you are. Mm-hmm. Right. So the thing that messed up in my book a lot of sci-fi that I've read is so like I love the first Rendezvous with Rama book. Oh, yeah. Because they go and they're exploring and it's all about trying to figure out what's going on, all that. The later books, they fall under the cliche of, for some reason, one of the people on the ship is like basically a murderer. Mm. And it's like, now there's like a murder mystery or something. I don't remember the exact detail, but it was kind of like, it was kind of lame. It's just these people fighting with each other. Uh, For All Mankind, the later episodes start to suffer from some of that because it just starts feeling soap opera drama because they're not, they're moving away from being like the Martian where it's like the dilemma comes from how are we going to solve these environment problems or solve survive or whatever. And they start moving to very artificial seeming drama, right? Like 
if I'm on a spaceship, like let's say it's a Na- the NASA space shuttle, mm-hmm. right? The notion that NASA would allow an astronaut who they're literally monitoring his bio readings mm. to just start, I don't know, freebasing cocaine. I see. Like on the show, like, and then st- decides that he's going to get caught. So he murders one of the other NASA astronauts. It was just dumb. <laughs> right. I, I, I hadn't been watching that series, but uh, you're, you're not selling me on it. So yes, it doesn't sound very good. For All Mankind is awesome. It's on Apple TV. It's probably one of the best sci-fi shows in the last few. Huh. It's Ron Moore. So if you like Battlestar Galactica, yeah. it's his new show and it's an alternate history show. And the premise at first seems like weird, but mm-hmm. if you get even a couple episodes in, I think it's it's great. Great effects work, great great writing. Uh, just because I quibble over the last season, getting a little too soap opery doesn't is not an indictment of the whole series oh, by okay. any stretch. All right, we'll leave it on the list then. All right, so here's my last book and my last point. I think on this one. Yeah. Here's a sci-fi book that I don't think very many of your listeners may have heard of. It's called Looking Backward. And it's by a guy, Ed Bellamy, and it's, I think, 1920s era. Could be old, or maybe even, no, I think it might be as old as 18, 1980s. Yeah, Let's check. The Looking Backward, the novel by Ed Bellamy. 1887. So the title has the word 1887 in it. Yes. Because he's looking, he's in the year 2000, apparently, and he's looking back to 1887. No. Oh, so the, the it's actually 1898. The author the author lived till 1898. So okay, it is 1887. The publisher says it was released in January of 1888. Okay, so looking backward, real quick, the premise of the book is there's this guy and he's it's 1887 and he wants to get married, but his mar- his wedding propose wedding setup is all screwed up because everybody's striking and everybody's mad at everybody. So he can't get his cake and he can't get his whatever. Mm. So he's really stressed out. So what he does is he hires a mesmerist, right? It's 1887. So he hires a mesmerist to come in and the mesmerist is like, yeah, you're stressed out. I'm going to, I'm going to hypnotize you and put you to sleep until I come back tomorrow and wake you up because you've been been having trouble sleeping. So of course what happens the there's a big terrible storm that night and lightning strikes or something. I, I forget the exact setup, but what happens is the mesmerist dies and the house that he's in burns down. <laughs> so he's in the basement. Oh, right. Okay. So then what happens is he just is in suspended animation. Uh-huh. And then in the year 2000, his descendants open up they're, they're going to remodel the house and they open up the basement and they find him laying there and they find a note from the mesmerist on how to wake him up. And then they wake him up. <laughs> nice. So the bulk of the book is, is this guy living in the year 2000 mm. from 1887. Mm. And it's him, you know, the the dilemma is him coming to, gr- coming to grips with, with the reality because he wants, he kind of wants to go back in time because he's distraught, right? And so the people in the future are helping him work it out. And so if you read that book, it is mind-boggling, like how many things in that book you would find familiar today, right? Like they go to the store and they don't carry money. They just carry a little card that they show to pay for things, right? They go to, when they do go to the store and they buy goods, which they use their little card for, the goods are delivered to their house, Hmm right for them. And there's little 
parts that are kind of unintentionally hilarious, like the way that the goods are delivered to the homes is through a series of pneumatic tubes. Hmm. And so one of the big political issues in the book is whether or not the pneumatic tube service is sufficient for the rural people. Because you get really good pneumatic tube service if you live in a city. Yeah. But, right? There's other things like there's a room that they can go into and then they can just push a button and hear music from all the major symphonies from all over the world playing 24-7. Wow. So How spoiled are they? Exactly. You know. And they had pneumatic tubes in delivery, uh, some kind of pneumatic tube system in New York City at one time. Uh, I don't know if it was the U.S. Post Office maybe who was doing that. But yep. yeah. So here's the crazy part. There's all this stuff in the books. One of the things in the book was this notion that, and this is where it's like suddenly takes this sort of left-hand turn, which is like the idea that all companies are explicitly managed by the government to ensure full employment, right? So back in like the day, there were Bellamy clubs. And so apparently at the peak, there were hundreds, if not thousands of these Bellamy clubs that would get together and meet with the explicit goal of trying to big bring about this to them utopian society mm. in the Bellamy books. Mm. Right. And we see that like Star Trek, like, you know, the guys who made the cell phone are just straight up like, well, yeah, we wanted to make communicators. Right. Now like right. Kirk had, right. This is the challenge is, go, you know, go pick up a copy of Licking Backward. It is a light, fun read. And it's unlike anything that we read today. It's not dystopian. It's not messed up. It ends, you know, I'm not, I don't want to spoil the ending, but it's got a perfectly fine, you know, happy ending. Maybe a little bit by today's standards weird, but that's a subject for another talk. Okay. Um, but the point being is that it's like, it is, it is literally called a utopian novel. And that's the thing that I would, would say is like, write a book that has a utopian society in it, spend time walling in it and inspire folks, but still have challenge and make it, you know, relevant. Like that's why the Borg are brilliant in my book, because it's the antithesis of what Star Trek is about. And so they still have a worthy villain that they can fight and battle and all that stuff. But it's just, hopefully at the core, it's a more, uh, positive model for the future. Because if we just leave it to, to Blade Runner, that's our only model for the future, we're toast, right? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, the book I would pair with this topic of will AI break capitalism is, I'm going to toot my own horn. Uh, there was a novelette I wrote about technological disruption because at the moment in time, everybody's like, you know, Will, people were worried that that in the .NET platform, you could have VB developers work in .NET, which would completely screw up everything because now they could have the same power as the C Sharp and the C++ developers on the Microsoft platform. And so there was a lot of like, you know, kind of like angst about that. And I know this is a tiny bit of the economy compared to the AI, but but that, that that's what I was thinking about when I wrote this story about what it was like back in the Mesopotamia region when somebody first came up with the wheel and how he disrupted his own village of people who were really strong and brawny and they were outsourcing their labor to the other villages where they weren't so big, strong and brawny. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that dude wasn't very popular for a while. But like I think all technology, the problem is you can't predict after the disruption what will happen. And I think like many 
types of disruption, it will have a come with a positive effect that will that could potentially save the day. So that's the kind of story it's about. Absolutely. And that's the thing is like, you know, I think it's an Eisenhower about you still have to plan, even though you know that the plan is not going to be what's going to be real, but that the process of going through the planning gives you the ability to understand and manage and contextualize the events as they occur, right? Like if I said to a economist today and I said, have you pondered technological unemployment? Do you have any plan or thoughts? If they just said, nah, you know, we'll figure it out. You'd be like, no, dude, that is not good. So it's like, the source for our inspiration and our ideas, it's like, well, there's think tanks, right? Those are political entity groups that sit around and try to think up thing ideas for this stuff. Right. And that's part of that political pipeline. And then there's, frankly, either nonfiction and fiction novels. And that's what sci-fi is all about, right? It's all about envisioning a new future and a new, you know, the introduction of a new technology or a new plan. I don't think we're gonna we're gonna be coping with should holograms have rights like <laughs> like Voyager in the next five years? Probably not. We don't. Hologram technology isn't that good yet. Exactly. But the notion that we might get to a point where we might have to deal with twenty percent unemployment because of technological unemployment that does seem distressingly plausible. Hmm. So, you know, let's see what we can sort out. All right. Well, cool. Thanks for the show, Will. And thank you so much for inviting me on. It's always fun to chat and hang out and, yeah. and sort through all this stuff. And I hope it can be a little overwhelming sorting through all this AI stuff and all the changes that are we're dealing with. And I think even if somebody picks up a copy of Looking Backward and, or your stuff, like, feel a little better. I think that's awesome. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> See what we can do. Cool. All right, everybody remember their homework. No more dystopians, all right? Otherwise, you're being a lazy writer. Yeah. <laughs> all, right. All, right. all right. Thank Cheers. you so much. You bet. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Growing up has never been easy, even in prehistoric Mesopotamia. Young Akia was the runt of a tribe that's legendary for feats of strength. But Akia prefers feats of intelligence. However, that gets him no respect from his peers. He gets into more trouble when he accidentally disrupts his tribe's corner on the market of hauling goods due to his invention of using levers. This idea becomes so popular that the neighboring tribes no longer require his own tribe's services. To make matters even worse, music television marketers from the future are meddling with the culture of the region. At first, Akia is excited by the strangers, but then realizes that there is a danger in becoming dependent on their gifts. But the stranger's pull is drawing the youth away from all of the tribes. So Akia must find a way to save his people, join the music television marketers with their technological magic, or join with his elders who had rejected him. 
Caveman Funk, a novelette by Lancer Kind, is available on Amazon Kindle. Check out the show notes, and there you will find goodies about more of Will's activities, such as his uh, guest appearances on Sci-Fi Thoughts, about his space opera video game he published called Blaze Sky, available on Steam. This series started in episode 238. If you missed the part of the show, go back... Go to your favorite search engine and type in Lancer Sci-Fi Thoughts AI Series and your friendly web search engine will bring you to the series album page.